Welcome to the Daily Creed, where we help you break your limited beliefs that are holding you back from being a personal and professional success. When you master the five character traits of commitment, resilience, excellence, execution, and discipline, you will have the power to dominate your industry and live the life you desire. And now, helping you to grow in every aspect of your life, your host, J.R. Spear. R. Spear. R. Spear. Welcome, J.R. Spear. Hey, I'm so glad to actually get this launched. It's been a yeah. long time coming. It is. So for all of you listening, I am not J.R. Spear. I'm Christine McIver, and I have the honor and pleasure of interest- introducing J.R., to the Inspired Choices Network and all of our listeners and viewers out there. And I'm, I'm excited to be able to play with him today on his first show with us. He's, he's, he's a veteran at everything, um, but not at being on our network. So I get to do that with him today. So JR's show is called Business Leaders Network. And we're going to find more out about JR and we're going to find out all about Business Leaders Network. But just want to say, first of all, it's about time, dude. I'm I've been waiting for you. Where have you been? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm ready for this. I'm I'm excited. It's been a long time coming. Just life was happening, and now we're here. We are here, and it's so good to be here. And so it's so exciting because, you know, I you and I met maybe two months ago, two and a half months ago, and it has been just an exciting, continuous creation. It has felt like. And I've really enjoyed um, the dance that we've been doing and learning more about you and learning what you're doing in the world. But I purposely did not ask you a lot of deep questions because I was excited to be able to do this live. So the questions I'm going to ask JR, (laughs) 90% of them, I have no idea what the answers are. And he has no idea of the questions that I'm going to ask, which I know. Oh, put me on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) Has it been driving you nuts that I haven't told you what I'm going to ask you? Oh, uh, no, I, I do much better on the fly. Anyways, I hate knowing what questions to come because that you know, beforehand, because then I put too much thought into it rather than just being authentic and real and giving what, whatever's on my heart at the time. Excellent. I love that. So. What's ever on in your heart. That's fantastic. Okay. I am going to give the formal introduction to Mr. Spear, and then we're going to get into really having a lot of fun. So J.R. Spear is the founder of Creed Consulting and Business Leaders Network. He is a strategic business success coach, a speaker, a podcast host, now a TV show host as well, and an a soon-to-be author. Do, 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 do. So we're going to talk about that too. No, I am an author now. I am an author now. Okay. Well, I'm I'm reading the soon-to-be, so we got to change that. <laughs> Since his return from the hot desert in Iraq in 2007, he has built several multi-six-figure businesses, ranging from the fitness and martial arts industry, marketing and advertising, to consulting. His mission is to arm small business owners with the right tools and resources needed to grow their businesses, giving them the direct path to bypass the struggles he had to endure so they can achieve the life and business they desire. Since 2017, JR has helped hundreds of entrepreneurs two times, five times, and even 10 times their businesses by implementing the proper steps, which stands for structure, technology, efficiencies, processes that leads to scalability. 
JR can be found at businessleadersnetwork.com. And of course, you can find him starting in, well, right now, you can find him across 450 platforms. You just go to your favorite on-demand podcast or TV platform, and you will find Business Leaders Network with JR Spears. So that is the official. It's official now. You're you're in. <laughs> Love it. JR, my first question is to you, tell me about who you are. You know, of course, the story about Iraq really leans people in, but I want to know about the JR before Iraq. So can you tell us who you are, where you started from, a little bit of your backstory? Yeah, so it all starts, honestly, from uh, from the day I took my first breath, because I grew up in a very different upbringing than most people. You know, I grew up in a family-owned business. It was a martial arts school, fitness, and I, from a very young age, I had to learn how to grow up and be an adult really fast. And I grew up with a single, fa- single mom with uh, four sisters out of St. Louis, Missouri. And in the martial arts school, you know, I we all had to work together as a team. So I had to learn how to teach, uh, even from a young age, because, you know, someone may be sick or my mom's doing with a client or whatever it may be. And so we're just kind of put on the floor saying, hey, go do this. So I, I started learning how to teach and leading a whole class of, uh, you know, adults and peers since I was probably 10 or 11 years old. And that was the start of my leadership and entrepreneur journey. And I didn't realize at the time about how much that impacted my life and and developed me to the person that I am today. But, you know, the, my mom always said, like, JR never knew a stranger. I can go anywhere and talk to anyone and I wanted to serve and help. And I remember this one time we moved out to uh, Phoenix, Arizona for my mom had some work. I don't even know what work it was, but we moved out to Phoenix, Arizona. And, you know, we're at the Grand Canyon and walking down the the hill. And at the top of the hill, I saw some someone that was handicapped trying to get out of the car and they're struggling trying to do it. And yet I'm like, I'm probably like eight years old at this time, too. And I'm like running up the hill, leaving my mom and everyone behind, just trying to help this person get out, get out of the car and and get into the wheelchair and stuff like that. But to me, that's always been part of who I am and the heart that I have, which is learning to give and serve others first. And that's uh, that's always been a huge part of my upbringing. So from a young age, started teaching when I was like uh, 10 or 11 years old in the martial arts. And then throughout high school, I, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to travel a lot and I would go to other high schools. I would take over a whole class and teach on self-defense and awareness and, you know, just, ha- just having things that to me, that was the only, that's the only thing I knew. I didn't know that that wasn't normal, that other people didn't do that. That was just my life. That's and, right. you know, my sisters were the same way and, and it just kind of, it's just who I was. Now I did go through a rebel stage. Yeah, go ahead. Hold on, wait, before you jump to the next one, was this your mother's um, uh, business that you were working in and learning in? Yeah, so this was her business. She always owned like a martial arts and fitness business pretty much my entire life. Um, and when when I, and I'll kind of get to it, but when I left for the military, you know, out of high school, she closed it down and was just teaching a program, but kind of taking a step back, you know, um, in high school, even though I was, you know, do, doing martial arts and still teaching things like that, I went through a rebel phase. My grandparents were a huge influence in my life and definitely uh, helped my mom with the upbringing of me and all my sisters. And you have to understand, I grew up in a house full of five women and me. I was the only guy. So four <laughs> sisters and my mom. And so it definitely uh, it definitely was an interesting life uh, for that I that I went through. But I went through a rebel stage, hanging around the wrong crowd, getting in a lot of trouble with the law and you know doing doing dumb things. And there was a there was a moment in, in high school. I think I was about 16 
or 16 or 17 years old and I needed some money to pay for, you know, you know, for some, some law tickets, some tickets I, I you know, that I got with traffic violations or whatever it may be, or a bond that I had to pay. And cause I ended up in, in jail for a little bit. I mean, nothing serious, but it was just more of like, Hey, I was just getting doing the wrong thing with the wrong people and got fired from my job, lost my license in my car, didn't have a vehicle. And, and my grandma came, came over before school and, and I was in a skip school, which is normal for me. You know, I, I, I don't even know how I graduated. So I, I graduated with like a 1.2 GPA, which I think they let me go just because they knew I was going to the military. Um, but you know, when I, when I skipped school the day and, and I, my grandma came, came over, I was like, Hey, you know, grandma, I need, I, I don't have a job and I, I need to make some money somehow. And to, so I can pay off these other things. So I don't end up back in jail and then come get me. And so I asked her to, to drive me to some pawn shops so I can pawn off some of the stuff that I had and, you know, whatever, whatever I could find in my room or, you know, just kind of, you know, got over the years. And she said, sure. And took me on the road and we're driving down Lemberg Boulevard in St. Louis. And, uh, she turned, makes this turn behind, you know, behind this plaza. I was like, where, grandma, you're passing all the places. What are you doing? And she said, she just pretty much told me to shut up and, you know, just be, you know, be quiet. And so I was like, okay, I'm not going to say no to my grandma. But she pulls in, goes into this spot, this plaza, and you know, right, in, and pulls into the parking spot right in front of me was the recruiting station. She says, "I don't care what you what, what branch you're gonna sign up for, but you're not coming out, and we're not leaving until you sign up for one of the one of the branches of the service." And uh, that was a uh, that was a pivotal moment in my life. And my grandma, she she passed away a few years ago, about I think it's probably been like five years now, passed away about five years ago or something like that now. And you know, she even to her grave, she was always proud of this moment. Because it's what absolutely changed the person that I am today. And I knew I wouldn't go Army. I knew I didn't want to go to the Air Force. But my uncle, he was prior Marine. And my grandfather retired in the Navy. And so it was either going to be the Marine Corps or the Navy. And at the time, the Marine Corps, I was like, oh, they're too gung-ho. They work too hard. So I was like, okay, I'll go in the Navy. Because it seemed really easy. Now, the the, the funny story is I ended up signing up for the Navy. And, um, and I still had – I joined the debt program, which is the delayed entry program. So you you go and meet with the recruiters and other people that are getting ready to end. So this is about a year before I actually left for boot camp. And during that year, my life like completely made different turns. I, you know, yes, I'm in this debt program. I have this uh this this mapped out where I'm committed to go to the military. I'm meeting with the recruiter. It was probably weekly or monthly, I can't remember what it was, and just kind of getting me prepared to go. But it was also at this time when I rededicated my life to Christ and and started changing the person I am, the people that I was hanging around, and just the ultimately everything about me. And went through some really big times or big moments in my life where I was a completely changed and different person. So when I went in the when I went to boot camp, this has happened in 2003, and I went into the Navy. So boot camp was in Great Lakes, Chicago. And while I was in boot camp, I, I originally signed up as an aviation boatsman handler, which was the same job that my grandfather was when he retired in, um, in the Navy, which was like a fuelsman or something like that. So I was like, okay, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't have any skill sets or trade other than knowing how to fight because I competed my entire life competing and fighting in the ring. So I was like, okay, what, I'm, I'm the kid going and just compete and, and, and do that stuff. So I didn't know what to do. So I took just whatever job that they would give me and just chose to do what my grandfather did. So I didn't join the Marine Corps because I thought they were too rough and, you know, gung-ho. And I, w- I was pretty lazy at that time. Went in the Navy. And while I was in boot camp, I found out about a different job called an RP, which stood for Religious Program Specialist. Ultimately, I was security for the chaplain, especially during time of war. So chaplains are non-combatants. 
and during and they had an RP that actually protected them, and we essentially are their weapon. And we provide administrative duties and things like that and moral support to the Marines and sailors are with. But the reason why I say God has a sense of humor, because even though I didn't want to go to the Marine Corps, I ended up spending my entire time with the Marine Corps while I was uh, in boot camp. So I switched to an RP while I was in boot camp. And right after boot camp, I ended up going to what we call, uh, you know, kind of like Marine combat training, learning how to play Marine, whatever, whatever, shoot weapons and wear uniforms and all that stuff. So but I I will say that was the best thing for me, because if I would have stuck on the blue side, the Navy side, I would have hated life, and I absolutely loved being with the Marines. I loved being on the ground. I loved the position I had and just everything about it, and it definitely impacted me in a huge way. So I know we we got a couple minutes before the break, and I will leave it at there, but when we come back, I definitely have – I'd like to continue a story about an incident that happened to me in Iraq on February 7, 2007 that definitely changed my life, and, and we could definitely hit on that in the next few minutes. But, you know, ultimately, my first duty station was out of Quantico, Virginia, as a battalion RP for officer candidate schools. So this is where the Marine Corps officers went. That was their boot camp. That was the training that they went through before they got commissioned and did that for about two years before I got transferred to uh, 2-4, which was 2nd Battalion, 4th Marines, and then later deployed with the 15th MU in 2006 to 2007. And that deployment is uh, definitely something that changed my life. It uh, affected the person I am today. And also the journey that I'm on right now. Wow. Wow. Okay. I have one question before we go to break. And and it doesn't matter if it takes you a couple of minutes. Here's my question. If you had to do it differently, would you have chosen something different in high school so you didn't go down this challenging path? Absolutely not. I had no desire to go to college. And I didn't know what I was going to do. And the military was the best thing that I could have done. The only regret that I have is not staying in. Okay, here's this follow-up question to that. You're the father of three beautiful children, correct? Yeah. If one of these children started getting into trouble and blew up their school life, would you be supportive of them just moving their through their lives and and ending in in the way that would actually support them? Because your parents didn't know where you were going to end up, right? No, they had no clue. So would you support your children? kind of messing up to find their way through life 100% yeah a big big difference between me and and uh, or my kids and my upbringing and not saying that I didn't have the support from my parents because they were both did the best they can they divorced when I was three years old my parents but uh you know they they weren't fully present and and what in my upbringing and everything that I did and that's something that me and my wife are doing very differently is we're hundred percent present supportive and like we're we're part of everything that they do all right well your parents were a gift to bring you into the world so <laughs> yeah oh yeah no nothing nothing bad because honestly i didn't even know that we grew up poor i didn't know that we had all these struggles growing up until i became an adult because my mom worked her butt off to care for us and to raise us so Amazing. Not not bashing on them. It was just a very different upbringing because she she was in survival mode every day. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got so much more we want to learn about you, and I already know we're not going to have enough time, so we're going to go to our first break. <laughs> Everyone, you are listening to the Business Leaders Network with our host J.R. Spear. I'm Christine McIver on the Inspired Choices Network. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. All right. Wow. This is going super fast. 
And somebody actually commented, you speak really, really fast, much faster than me. And that's an oddity. But I love how <laughs> much you've already shared with us, Jared. Like this is really I find it in essential to understand someone's background. It makes so much more sense when we see where they are today and where they're going in the future. Before you actually joined, before you left school and before that incident with your grandma, where, where did you think you were gonna be in your life? I don't know. Didn't think about it? <laughs> Excuse me. I mean, I, I honestly, I look back and I'm like, okay, if I didn't join the military, and uh, if I continued on the path that I was going and I didn't, I didn't rededicate my life to Christ, you know, I always, I, I, I tell people, it's like, you know, I, I would probably be dead or in prison, one or the other, just because of the people that I was hanging around and, and just kind of the path that they all went down. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people I grew up with that are either dead or they are all in prison or, or something or protective custody, whatever it may be. It just, I, I was down a path that was, was, was really dark and it wasn't good. And if I would have kept going down that way, I have no clue where I would have been. But I believe I got guys, that God directs us in a path that, uh, that he wants us on. And if we listen and obey, then we're going to be in a good place. So I just well, kept I'm following. Glad. Not say no to my grandma. So. I'm glad you did not say no to your grandma. Thank, thank yeah. you, grandma. <laughs> that, that is fantastic. So, so you're, you've, you've, you said that there was something you wanted to follow up with with your story, what you were telling us. Yeah. So on February 7th, 2007, I'm, I'm in uh, Barwana, Iraq. And, you know, I woke up this morning, just, you know, just feeling like something was off. You know, you get this feeling in your gut, you get energy, whatever it may be. And it just didn't seem, it seemed like something was just not right. And, you know, the first thing, you know, first off, we were gone late at night on the mission, me and the chaplain. And I woke up early in the morning, it was probably like 5.30 or 6 a.m. And I was going to meet with them and couldn't find them anywhere. I was like, where the heck is the chaplain at? So I'm walking around our camp and, and and we're in the middle of a desert. So there's like nothing out there. And we burned up this whole area and, and blocked it all off. And I'm going around and meeting with our, go to our HQ office and meet with Com and, and had to find out where the chaplain was. And he ended up going out uh, into the city with our battalion commander and our sergeant major. Now, now here's the deal. The chaplain's not supposed to go anywhere without me. And because ultimately, if he does, he's putting himself at risk, but he's also putting me at risk because he's my responsibility. And even though he's an officer and I'm an enlisted, there's like that he it just it just doesn't happen. So him going off on his own and doing so without even communicating with me or taking me with him, it was definitely not the right choice on anyone's part. And so I ended up finding out where he was. And was able to communicate with our, you know, our, our uh, common and HQ to for a rendezvous point uh, where we can meet. And so I uh, got with got with the convoy that I was meeting down at this walking checkpoint, which is close to the Euphrates River. And we and it's where we searched everyone to come in, in and out of the city. So we had a bunch of Marines down there at the FOB, which, you know, it's a Ford operating base. And um, and. That that's going to be where me, the chaplain, the sergeant, our sergeant major, and a battalion commander was going to meet, uh, hang out with the Marines and sailors down there, and just kind of uh, you know be be present and provide that moral support. So I I get down, the, I get with the convoy, we drive down there. I'm driving the Humvee, and just the whole time I'm driving just felt off. And I remember uh, like you know, speaking out and praying Psalm 91 over me, which if anyone knows any scripture, there, there's a big part in there that says a thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 your right hand, but it shall not come near me. And I, I, I learned to memorize. You talk so fast. You got to slow that down. <laughs> Say that again, but slow it down, please. 
Yeah, so there's a part of Psalm 91 that says a thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. And I learned to memorize the entire scripture. It's a pretty long one. And every time I got behind the wheel of a Humvee, I would speak that verse out and pray it over me and just kind of believe for protection. And so I'm saying, I'm speaking this over me and just have this like, you know, this nasty feeling in my gut, be like, man, something's, something's off. Something's getting ready to happen. So I get down there and the chaplain's not there yet. And I'm just kind of hanging out with the Marines and, you know, figure out what, what, how long he's going to be there. And so eventually he ended up meeting with us and then he's hanging out in this checkpoint. So there's like this metal concrete barricade that stood up about, you know, too high. And if you think about the metal barricade uh, in the middle of a highway, it's like those big concrete blocks that separate, you know, each direction. So we have those stacked up in the center and there was a walkway in the middle that we can kind of communicate with the people going either in or out. And then there was definitely, you know, the, the openings. And then we had something called, we called HESCO. So HESCO is like this cloth barrier stuffed with sand and dirt that took the impact of a blast if something would come. And then on the other side of that was an, was like an open courtyard, like a, like a grass area. And then we had a building that we, we had for shelter that we went on top and we can oversee, you know, for, miles on out and and see what, what what's going on it's important to understand like the layout of it because you know for the longest time i'm standing in the center of that walkway with another marine his name was corporal emory at the time and you know just talking with the locals and and you know smiling laughing having a good time and i was probably there for a solid 45 minutes to an hour and then um though this moment where you know, I, I felt, felt in my gut but also it was like an audible voice that only i could hear really loud and says you need to move and I wasn't listening to it. And it was just like, okay, whatever. I just started like ignoring it. Cause I was like, you know, what the heck was that? You know, just kind of looking around almost like back in the day in the Bible where God's talking to Moses or whatever like that. And just kind of, you had this audible voice. That's exactly what it felt like. And then a little, little bit of time went by and says, you know, Jerry, you got to move, like go check on the chaplain now and move. And I still wasn't responding. And then a little bit more time was going by. And then all of a sudden I started getting really sick. Like, like almost wanting to vomit and I'm feeling completely fine all day, but I remember having, it was almost like stress or nerves or what, but there was just something that was off that started making me feel a little shaky. I was thought I was getting ready to vomit. And I was like, oh man, I'm not feeling well. So I got up to end up, end, end up moving was walking down towards the area where the people were walking into the city and my Sergeant major walked right by me. And, you know, when we, when we walked by our, our senior enlisted and, you know, we always greet him. And so I walked by and said, Hey, good morning, Sergeant major. And he looks down and says, you know, good morning, RP go by him. And I walk around a turn, the chaplain's there. He's talking to another Marine. And as we walked through this, this pathway, it wasn't even just moments later where a guy that was walking through lifted his arms was strapped with C4 and blew himself up. And I was, I was standing only feet away from this opening where the, and, and where the, the blast actually took place. Well, I'm I'm glad that I moved at that moment because where I was standing, my sergeant major was standing at that exact moment, and he ended up dying during that blast. And it's Corporal Emery, who I was with, who I was talking to, is standing next to for you know a solid 45 minutes an hour. He lost both of his legs. Uh, we lost another female marine that was further away. Her name is Jennifer Purcell. She ended up passing away. Uh, Jimmy, our interpreter. He uh, was, you know, he, I was, I was very close to him, but he ended up dying in that blast. And there was so many more injuries and things. And I was left unconscious and, and, and thrown and not really knowing what happened, but I saw the chaplain there on the ground and we thought it was mortars coming in. We didn't know until later that it was actually a suicide bomber and a guy strapped with the C4. And so it was, uh, 
I saw the chaplain trying to crawl on the ground and I couldn't barely see or walk. And I was, uh, had straight tunnel vision. Even today, the right side of my face and my body is completely affected. Like my right arm still hurts when I raise my arm. The, I, on my right side, I have inner ear dirt, nerve damage. So I still get like the echo. I get an echo in my voice when I talk. Um, I have, you know, still like numbness and weird sensation on the right side of my face and my head from when I do. Uh, but I didn't lose any any limbs. I, you know, the, the crazy thing is I had like one speck of blood on the back of my flak and my chaplain had body parts all over him. So he's on the ground trying to crawl. I couldn't see here. I didn't even know if, if I had everything intact. All I knew is the chaplain's there. My job was to, to fight and protect him and get him under shelter. So I saw him there. I could barely move, see, couldn't hear anything because it was just, you know, just how bad the, the impact was. And I saw another Marine. I think it was either my gunny or my first sergeant. He was at a far distance underneath the building, waving, trying to scream my name. And I just grabbed the chaplain by the back of his flak and I dragged him on the ground. Probably, I don't know, it's probably a solid 25 yards to get underneath the shelter. And until we figured out and assessed the area to figure out what was going on. And um, yeah, so it, it was at that moment that definitely transformed my life. Now, there's a, there's a lot of things that afterwards that I reflected on years later. Um, but that really changed, like it showed me ways of how I teach, how I coach my clients and just from the systems and processes that I've learned throughout the Marine Corps that I still implement in today. But here, here's the thing that, that gave me goosebumps even later on. And every time I speak it, it, it still gives me chills. So that happened February 7, 2007. We got back from deployment May 31st, that same year. And when I saw my mom the first day, she came to me and she was like, Hey, you know, I was at a church event in January. So January that same year, and there was a guest speaker who called her out and, you know, and asked her a couple of questions saying, hey, do you have a child that's overseas in, in the Middle East right now? And she said, yeah. And uh, yeah, he's over in Iraq. I got a son that's over there. She says, I don't want to scare you, but I want you to know that something really bad is getting ready to happen. But, but don't be scared because he's going to be surrounded by a thousand angels and not be touched. Oh the God. exact phrase that Psalm 91 that I prayed over myself every day and my, it, was, my whole it was still holds true. My whole body. Yeah. It still, it still gives me chills today. And, 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 and to me, it, it's kind of like what brings me to the show with the inspired choice network and everything I do with the business leaders network and within my coaching business with Cree consulting. And I had every desire to stay and make a career out of the military, but you know, it was from that moment that I believe that God has a bigger calling for me and to be a voice for a lot of other people which is why I wanted to be here on the Inspire Choice Network to speak my story, to serve others and make an impact. You know, I'm really happy that I'm here with you, but I don't really need to interview you. You're just fabulous at telling stories and, <laughs> and really connecting the dots, which makes a huge difference. We have one question in the chat room and, and I'm sure you're gonna to speak to this and, and but the question is, how did the, that change your life? And what are some of the things you reflected on uh, years later? Yeah, so, you know, I went through a lot of dark places and I still struggle today even with PTSD. And, um, you know, they, they even diagnosed me with chronic PTSD. And what I've realized even just recently, and it's been more than 15, almost 16 years now since the blast happened, that I struggle heavily with survivor's guilt because that should have been me right there. And so that that's something that I still struggle with. But one thing, it took probably more than 10 years later, but, you know, I always say the greatest model of any business 
is the United States Marine Corps. Because the way that they structured the business and the way that the whole machine and operation is ran is like no other business that you can imagine. So when you when you go in from the day you put your feet on the yellow footprints in boot camp, you are immediately being trained to be a fighting machine. And they are transforming the way that you think. So working on that mindset to think a certain way and to build in systems and processes, there's an order for everything that you do. There's an order on how you speak to people. There's an order on how you, in a system on how you make your bed, how you fold your clothes, how you hold your rifle, how you hike, uh, you know, carrying your pack. I mean, everything that you do in the Marine Corps, there's a system, there's an order on how you must do it. And when I started reflecting on that, there, like when that blast went off at that exact moment, it wasn't until like years later when I go back, I'm like, man, everyone knew what to do, how to respond when that took place. I knew how to respond to grab that chaplain, to pull him underneath cover, and to be and what to do next even afterwards. The other Marines knew how to patrol the city to assess the area and make sure there's no other people that was going to c- come harm or do any you know do any other danger. Uh, the com knew exactly how to call out to medevacs to get the helicopters in. You had the you know the, our staff and CEOs that knew how to lead the other people, the corpsmen that attained to the people that got hurt. I mean, it was just amazing reflecting back even today to look and see how that whole operation was ran. And it all happened and started from the constant training that we do. And inside business, most people think that just running a business, it's like, hey, I read a book, I'm going to go in, I want to help people do X, Y, Z, but they don't understand the time and the training that took that lead them, led them to the place today. So what I try to tell people, and this is something that really crucial that I really want the listeners to take from today and why they should be tuning in to listening to me every single week, because I am not a coach that read the book. I am a coach that has lived the experiences that's going to be able to help you go through the different trials and tribulations you're going to go through. And most people, they're scared to give away the free content or the free systems or whatever to serve you because they don't know how to do it any other way. They only know one way. They've read a book and they want to teach people how to do that, but they don't know how to navigate through the problems because they've never gone through the problems themselves. They didn't go through the experiences. They didn't go through everything that it takes to build a business. And so everything from my time from a childhood in the martial arts business to in the military of everything that I learned from day one in boot camp to the day that I got out and that experience in, in, in Iraq to even building a martial arts school of my own, a fitness business in four different cities, a publication franchise to build an advertising agency, a consulting business, and now a, mark, a networking mastermind community with Business Leaders Network. I know how to navigate through problems and I'm not scared to, wait, to give away my free stuff. So that's what they're going to be getting here. So everything... That I teach my clients where they pay me fifteen to fifty thousand dollars for my time and service for is exactly what I'm going to be teaching the listeners on the show. Damn, dude. Damn. We have just one goal right here. We have just <laughs> one goal. This is fantastic. I'm I feel so blessed to have met you and to be in connection with you. And I'm so thrilled and excited for all of our all of our listeners and all of our viewers that are really looking for support because you are the real deal and you have been from the minute I met you and that just solidified it. So listen, we got to pay some bills, stick around. I know JR is not done. <laughs> Let's go. Come on back. You're listening to Business Leaders Network with JR Spear and myself, Christine McIver here on the Inspired Choices Network. We'll be right back. All right. Thank you so much, everyone, for being here. You are listening to Business Leaders Network with our host, J.R. Spear. I have the honor and privilege of introducing him and really just listening. I'm I'm just listening today to (laughs) to his first show. And uh, I mean, talk about a compelling story. And and before we jump back in, I just want to let everybody know, connect with J.R. through his website, 
businessleadersnetwork.com. You'll learn more about where his passion lies, what he's doing and how he's contributing and giving back and creating connection around the world. It's fantastic. You can send him an email with any questions to grow, G-R-O-W, at businessleadersnetworking.com. So what's what's really asking to be said uh, about or to be asked about? JR, for me, what's jumping is, okay, I understand this is not a world that I understood. It's not a world that I've been, uh, you know, had a window into at all. Um, my father was in the Air Force, but that was well before I was born. I know a little bit about it. I don't know a whole lot. But how do you go from that in your world to being the dynamic that you are? How did you make that transition? I mean, I understand what you said that that training was essential, but that's a pretty big leap. Uh, I don't think a lot of people make. How did you, what was it for you that transitioned you over into this business leader? You know what, there, this is like such a huge uh, question to be asking, and I'm going to be unveiling this a lot over the, the months to come and years to come while we're on the show, but it boils down to a couple different things. And, and not, before I dive into it, I wanted to like say, like going back to that moment of when, when the blast happened now, I, I was part of the cleanup crew and, you know, I stuck around and was providing moral support, taking care of the chaplain, take care of the other Marines and sailors that were there. And when I say cleanup crew, I'm talking about, I was actually picking up the body parts. So I'm carrying the guy's head, his arm, the other people's torsos. I mean, the body parts and putting them in bags and getting them out of the area. And so the, the blast happened probably, you know, early in the morning time frame, And I didn't get back to our camp until later that afternoon and evening. And we were at, we shared our office tent with, uh, with our, the corpsman and the docs. And so I was like, you know what, I just need to have some time to just to myself. And I was like, I just, I just need to get away. I just need to process <laughs> and just get away. And I, I went in, I go in there and I was like, okay, you know, here's a safe place of where I'm going to go. And I walk in there and it's a stack of bodies. And just literally all in body bags, probably like 10 different bodies in my in my office area. And I I yelled at the corpsman and like threw my threw my cavalier, you know, out and you know at the at the wall and stuff and just got on their faces and just wasn't acting the normal person I am. And I was in a lot of distress and just kind of really angry and just emotional at that time. And so they they went and got a Humvee and you know got the bodies out of there and then end up uh you know taking them elsewhere. And but I remember just sitting there by myself and just kind of you know, it was the middle of the night and the you know, stars were there and and it was just just trying to put some thoughts together. And I remember telling myself that there was a switch that went in my head that affected me really tremendously. And it was like, okay, you can either dwell on this and worry about how you feel, worry about your emotions, physically, emotionally, and everything like that, and let that cause you with the risk of your own life not surviving this time or, and uh, you know, just kind of taking it day by day. Cause we didn't know if we we're going to make it home or you move on, you forget about it and you stay in the fight. And I, I made this, I made that conscious decision. And I remember telling myself, and it was almost like an agreement to myself. And I, I remember very, very vividly. It's just kind of like, you know what? I'm staying in the fight because I want to get home. And here's, here's the funny thing. And this is, this is going a little bit, this is going back a little bit. So we were part of a mu. And which stood for Marine Expeditionary Unit. So ultimately, we were uh, we went to Iraq as passengers on the Navy ships. Even though I was in the Navy, I was attached to the Marine Corps, so I had no responsibility on a Navy ship. So when we 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 call it a Westpac, 
And so before we went landed in Kuwait is where we stopped at. We stopped in Hawaii to, uh, you know, to fuel up the ships and, and get supplies. And then we went to, I forget the order, but we ended up going to Hawaii, Singapore, Australia. Um, one ship ended up going to India. We were stuck at sea while we were there because we were supposed to go to Sri Lanka and they were going through their own cold war at the time. So we were stuck at sea. But when we went to Singapore, they were uh, doing a worldwide jewelry fest at that time. And I'm only, I'm dating my, my wife now. Uh, I was dating my wife at that time and she met her while stationed at Quantico, Virginia. And our first date was at the Marine Corps ball on uh, November 10th, 2000, or I'm sorry, it was actually November 12th, 2004. The Marine Corps birthday is November 10th. So that's the reason why I said the 10th, but November 12th, 2004, that was our first date. And, um, you know, we, we, we were together since then. And I, you know, do the math. I deployed on 2006. And when we were there, I bought her a uh, engagement ring while I was in Singapore. And so that, that engagement ring stayed in my left breast pocket every day. Like every time I went out, I always like touch it. It would just make sure it was like, okay, is it there? Is it okay, it's there. And, and that is honestly what made me fight to get home. It was knowing that I wanted to propose to my wife. And um, so when I, when I was sitting and moving forward, when I was sitting outside in that, in like my own quiet place and I was make and I was giving myself that agreement and making sure that conscious decision of, you know, what I wanted to do is like, okay, I could have just easily been emotional, been pissed off and everything like that. But I wanted to say, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm getting home. Cause I'm going to propose to this girl. And I, uh, and that, that was my, I was like, I'm staying in the fight. And so there were, there were a lot of other things that happened throughout the whole journey while I was in Iraq and other other bad times and things like that. But that was the biggest one that affected me. But when I made that choice and that decision to stay in that fight, that's ultimately what affected me for the years to come because uh, now in, in positive ways, but also negative ways, because because of that choice, I lost the emotional attachment of knowing how to have empathy. Like I, I, I la I'm still struggling with that today. Like I, I don't know how to have empathy for other people, even death. Like to me, I see death as just another thing. I mean, we lost my brother-in-law, my father-in-law, my uncle, my grandmother, my grandfather, and friends and family. And and the only thing I'm thinking about is like, oh, you know, where are we going to dinner? <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of like my thought process. And I, I walk around with smiles like, okay, we're just at another thing. So to me, death is just one of those things that never really affected me. And even with my grandmother, who is and my grandfather, my grandfather passed away this year. Uh, this past February, it's like, I can't tell you I shed a tear for any one of them. And it just having that emotional attachment was really hard. So that's the negative side that I'm still trying to work through today and knowing, and even with clients, uh, knowing how to have that empathy with them and just understand when they, when they give me excuses of why they didn't get something done, I can't relate to that. And I says, just get off your ass and go do it. Like, I just don't understand that concept. I'm a very big action taker. So when I commit and say that I'm going to do something, I'm, you bet your ass, I'm going to do it. And so to me, I don't know how to relate to people when they say they didn't get it done. They allow life to happen. It's like, okay, you're not fully committed to it. You're not willing to do the sacrifices that needs to take to be able to get things done. So in a positive way, I think that for the, that that taught me the importance of taking action and just knowing that you we, we're not promised tomorrow. And so if you say you're going to do something, we're going to do it. So every business that I've ever built, it was more of like, I thought about it today. And guess what? I implemented it tomorrow. And my wife is like, oh man, oh, here he goes. So she knows when I'm, when I'm going with something that I'm not present anywhere because I'm 100% focused on everything that I'm going to do to make it happen. Right. And so having that fighting mentality definitely stuck with me ever since that one moment. 
Now, I always was a very driven person my entire life, even as a child and teaching and and just knowing when I say my yes be yes, my no be no. So when I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And so that there's that piece right there. Now, granted, even building businesses, my my fitness business, I if I would have ran ran that business the way I run business today, it would have been even more successful than it was. Because I was very complacent where I would get up, teach my class, go work out two or three hours a day, and then go teach another class in the afternoon, hang out with friends, take my wife out for dinner, whatever it may be. And I just, I never really marketed. I didn't do anything. It just grew naturally on its own with the systems that I built and uh, was very, very successful at that. So, so, but there, there was one, one point in time where uh, there, there's, there's a guy out there called Bedris Koulian. He is the founder and franchise owner of Fit Body Bootcamp. And it's one of the biggest fitness franchises in the entire world. And, and he is an immigrant that, that moved to the U.S. He lives in Chino Hills, California, and, um, and as an immigrant, but also launched his business in 2008, which was a big recession in the U.S. And so one thing that I've learned from him over the years, and just by following him, I had the opportunity to speak to him on the phone several times and in person at multiple different events and just connecting with him. But he uh he said something that struck now for some people this would be very graphic because like who is, who is this guy he's crazy and when you when you know him and you and you, you speak to him he drops the f bomb like every other word but he has like a heart of gold just wanting to serve and help people and just really just a brilliant individual but for me it really resonated but he he was saying even in 2008 when he was launching Fit Body Bootcamp during a recession when everyone said it was an impossible he 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 had to figure out what his purpose was what his big why was and I was always very superficial about because like. Okay, you hear everyone says, okay, what's your why? You know, you got to understand your why. And to me, it's like, okay, yeah, I want to go help as many people as possible grow their business. I want to help as many people as possible lose their weight. And it's so superficial. And I'm like, that's bullshit. Excuse my language. But it was, you to can me, swear it just never it's really clicked. Show. <laughs> <laughs> well, it never really clicked with me. But, but one thing that he said, it really clicked. So when he started breaking down his why and what resonated with him is his why was so strong that if he didn't show up, to do this one thing. And it could be as simple as just sending one email, but if he didn't show up to send this one email to, to call this one person to do this one thing that he was going to go home and find his wife and his kids murdered cold blood on the floor. And to, and to when he was explaining that, yes, it's, it's so graphic for other people, but I'm like, that really resonated with me because for most people, the reason why they're complacent, the reason why they don't get things done because their purpose and their why of what they're doing isn't strong enough to get them moving. And that's why it moved me. So for me, I struggled with that for so long. I was like, what the heck is my purpose? What the heck is my why? And it, it wasn't even until recently, like more than 10, 15 plus years that I had to really discover it. But, you know, one thing that like you got to have that something that moves you. And for me, it's really simple. I never want my kids to look up at me and say, Daddy, I'm hungry. Oh. And so that one little piece terrifies the living crap out of me. And where it's like, hey, now it's one thing where it's saying, Daddy, I'm hungry. When I was like, we got a whole full fridge full of food and snacks right, and stuff right. like that. Go, go get it. But it's one of those things like, hey, I'm not able able to provide. And so that it, it's a good thing that drives me, but it's also a hard thing because I can almost be addicted to success and right. and what I'm doing and today. And so that's something that I'm trying not to get lost in my business because I don't want to lose my family while I'm doing it. Right. So okay, I try I to have a little bit here. of balance. I gotta jump yeah. in here. Because JR, you are driven, you are, con you've got a conviction that, you know, people wish 
a lot of people wish that they had. And, and I want to say that my interaction with you, yes, you're strong. You know where you're going. You're, you're, and you're going there. But I have never felt like you had, did not have empathy when I have ever spoken with you. I just want to put that out there. He, he doesn't even know that he's doing it because he's doing it. So, and, and yes, I'm also a very driven person as well. I haven't had the experiences that you have had. I've had my own experiences. But you are present with people and you do care about people. You care about their success. And oftentimes what I've seen is you care about their success more than they care about their own. And, you know, sometimes the people I have found that sometimes people need to struggle in order to find their why, in order for them to really be able to dig deep and know what it is that they need to move forward. So you, you are a great leader in that you are walking the path. You're, 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 you're absolutely moving forward and you're doing what you're inspiring other people and inviting other people to do. You're, you're, you're growing yourself all the time. You challenge yourself again and again and again. You don't stop. I think you should buy your wife a, a ring every year for how much she probably <laughs> has to do without you around. But yeah, I, know that your <laughs> I know that your family is, is paramount for you. And I, I love that you have found what that why is for you. I mean, that is... That is essential, but what you are doing in the world and, and, and what you openly look at and what's important to you and how you lead is inspiring for other people to step up to even lead themselves. So, you know, anybody that's listening that you think, oh, this guy's pretty hard. No, no, he's not. <laughs> he is a, he's very kind. He cares and he's going to challenge you. And I don't know any client, no client I've ever had didn't need me to challenge them. I think that that's one of the biggest things that people reach out and they get leaders, they get, you know, they network with strong people and they hire coaches because they really suck at holding themselves accountable. And, and I think that that's a great thing that we're willing to hold them and hold them to what they say that they want and really move them in the right direction so that they can have more in their life. So JR, yeah. what you're doing in the world, it's fantastic. Um, and I, you know, it's hard to listen to your story. I'm sure you've heard that before. It's hard to imagine that you were in that place. And <laughs> I'm grateful that you're here. And I'm grateful that, you know, I know you have survivor's guilt and I hope that the, you're able to move through that. But like you said, God knew what he was doing and he wanted you here. And so, you know what, maybe give up on the guilt and just keep being the amazing leader that you are, because you don't need anything to hold you down. We need more leaders like you. And we absolutely need people that are leading from their why. And we know what your why is. You're just, you're not going to settle for anything less than the best. And I love that. I love that about you. It's fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah, so I mean, kind of, kind of hitting on that because I don't want to come across as this, you know, this mean guy that doesn't really care about people. And and, and a lot of that goes back to my childhood, too, is like learning how to serve. And this is something that I, it's what I was saying even on the earlier in the show, is that I believe that we have to learn how to serve people first before anything else, before you even talk about transactions, before you even talk about becoming a client. You have to serve people because there has to be that that relationship built and making sure you do it. Because ultimately, I, I can sell anything to anyone and convince anyone to do anything that I want them to do. And I'm really great at it. But the problem is, once you make that sale and that transaction, they get in, neither of you are going to be happy. And I can't tell you how many people I've sold into my program over the years and you know got their money and stuff like that. But 
I dreaded getting on the call with them. It just wasn't a good fit. And I, I had to make a shift even on myself. It's like, you know, yeah. I, I'm committed to moving, only working with people that I want to serve and help with. But uh, yeah, I, I am at fault where I end up caring about my clients' businesses more than themselves and fully committed. And, and when anytime I, anytime I get a new client into my program, I tell them and I say, you're never going to find anyone that works harder for you than me. And because I, I mean that, I mean, I don't care what time people call me or, what, or whatever it may be. If they need that support, that help, I'm going to do everything I can for that. But I want to before, because I know we're coming to the last minute, um, yeah. you know, we, we, we got my why for that. But, you know, the purpose is what really, you know, that I struggled with for most of my life. And it, it wasn't until I had my kids and my first son, Jameson, you know, he's uh, six now, going to be seven in April. And uh, that really changed my life because I went through some really tough times in 2015 where I literally shut down my, my boot camp business overnight. And I'm in four cities, tell my clients, tell all my instructors. I had more than 30 instructors working for me and say, hey, it was a good ride and end up going on a rock and put on 60 pounds and, and things like that. And just really struggled, needed a year, just kind of get, you know, gather my thoughts and just was went through a rough time. But when I had my first son, you know, it definitely opened up my eyes to a completely different world of how I look at things. And I think it was uh, over the summer of last year, I woke up in the middle of the night, it was like 3am. And I'm like, you know, that's my purpose. This, this is this is my purpose in life. This is my vision. This is my purpose. And because I, I was always looking at something superficial, like, I want to help as many people with small business owners grow their businesses and give them the systems and tools that they can do. But that wasn't big enough to drive me because that can only hold you for so long before you hit burnout. And you hate doing what you're doing. Yeah. But my true purpose in life is to disciple my kids to be disciples of Christ. And so everything that I do, if it's not leading my kids towards the cross or my family or my wife, then it doesn't belong in my life. And with even me doing this, they are observing, they're hearing, they're seeing, they're watching me. And yeah. that's that's leading them to a path that I, I hope is going to be serving them long term. My friend, I'm so glad you're having a weekly show because you obviously need more time. You are amazing. I'm so glad you shared all that with us. That was fantastic. Okay. I want everybody that's listening, whether you're listening live or you're listening in the replay, I want you to go find JR on your favorite podcast platform. Find him on your smart TV. Find him on any social media platform. Start following him, giving him a great review. This man knows what he's doing. He's changing the world. He's now on the Inspired Choices Network and he's going to be changing things for all of us and i love it you're turning it up jr what's your show next week we got 30 seconds yeah my show next week is going to be me and i'm going to be talking a little bit about you know uh everything kind of extended what we're just talking about now so okay. probably purpose and identity and even mastering your day all right everybody you know where to find jr go get go to the businessleadersnetworking.com send him an email at grow at businessleadersnetworking.com come back next week same time, same place, and do absolutely check him out. This is going to be a show you never want to miss. Thank you so much, JR. Thank you for listening to the Daily Creed Podcast Show with JR Spear. If you want to get more leads and grow your business, head over to fitprofunnels.com to get your free gift today. That's fitprofunnels.com. And to connect with JR online, check him out on Facebook at jr.spear.3. Or feel free to join the Facebook group at Fit Pro Funnels. And you can also find them on Instagram at jr.spear. 